Welcome to Portraits of Honor. We stand in the swiftly fading shadow of our World War II veterans and heroes who united for a single purpose, to honor life, liberty, and justice for all. They were soldiers and sailors, airmen and mechanics, nurses and pilots, radio operators, ordinary people who did extraordinary things. Our mission is to preserve their stories, to bring their experiences to life for a new generation. This is our tribute, our act of honor. Through their words, we explore the essence of honor and remember the sacrifices that were made. For just the cost of a cup of coffee each month, you can help us preserve their stories. Visit PortraitsOfHonor.com to learn more. Join us as we journey back in time, as we listen, learn, and remember. This is Portraits of Honor. Let the stories of these heroes begin. Our featured veteran in this episode, Winona Ruth Gunther, served in World War II as a pharmacist mate first class in the U.S. Naval Waves, women accepted for volunteer emergency service, out of Corona Naval Hospital and tended to wounded service members injured in Guadalcanal. This interview was recorded on November 19, 2021 at the San Diego Air and Space Museum. So what's your, what's your full name? Winona Ruth Anderson Gunther. Anderson was my maiden name. Okay. And, and, uh, <clears throat> and your uh, birth date is? November 22nd, 1919. 1919. And you're about to have a birthday the, in a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. Was it late Friday? Yeah, three days? Three days. Yeah. <laughs> my nephew's out here from Indiana for my birthday. Great. He was here for my 100th, and now he came for my 102. Very good. That's glad they're here to join yeah. it. Right. Happy early birthday. Thank you. And uh, where were you born? I was born in Pittsburgh, Indiana, on a 240-acre farm. And um, we lived there until I was about six. And then we moved to Monticello. And um, I lived in Monticello until I went into the service. Monticello, Indiana. Yep. And um, I had, my father was a real patriot. He came, when we came from a family of patriots. I had two grandfathers in the Civil War and three uncles in the, I mean, I'm sorry, grandfathers in the Revolutionary War and, th and three cousins in the Civil War, and I've had relatives in every war that the United States has fought. And you are um, a true, true patriot. I'm a true patriot. <laughs> I love, <laughs> love my country, and um, and my father did. He instilled that in us. My father was a, a veterinarian, one of the few educated veterinarians in the area, and um, he. When I was in the sixth grade, I, our teacher was having us watch what was going on in Japan and, and Germany and Washington, D.C. and the news. And I would come home and I'd go over the news with uh, the paper with my dad. Yeah. And he said, people are worried about Germany. He said, I think we need to worry about Japan. 
He said, they're buying up all of our old tin, and you know, they'd had, um, for years, been buying up rags and tin and things from the United States. They didn't have their own um, in, at home. And so he, he passed away in, in May of uh, 41, mm -hmm. just before the war broke out. And so then I was heartbroken. And um, I, we were, kept following the war and these friends of mine had left high school. Two, two of the fellows had gone into the Air Corps. Well, when, I, when the war broke out with Japan, I was visiting a friend on a farm and she and I had gone to school together. Yeah. And our, I was listening to music from WLS <laughs> in Chicago. And uh, he said, we, I heard the president come on saying, we interrupt this program to announce. And then I heard about Pearl Harbor. And uh, a few days later, I found out that one of the boys from our hometown was on the Arizona, and he had sunk with the Arizona. And then uh, the two two of my friends that had gone in the Air Force had come back and for Christmas vacation, and they came in to tell me goodbye. They were leaving, uh, being called back because of the when the war broke out with Japan, they needed them to teach other pilots. And it wasn't too long after that that we had on the, on the radio, we heard that one of the boys had been killed on the East Coast in a plane crash. And the second boy who was closer friend to me, um, that afternoon we heard he'd been killed on the West Coast. And we thought it had to be a mistake, you know. Two of them, same class, same day. And um, <clears throat> then it was true, he had been killed. He was trying to, he was had a pilot that he was training and he was soloing and he was, the kid was, he was frozen to the stick and he was going right into the mountain. And my friend was trying to get him to pull up and he waited too long to pull up himself and he went into the mountain. Hmm. And so, in that short time, we had three kids from our hometown that had been killed. And then um, I knew my brother was, he was gonna be graduating in, in May. And I knew he'd be, go, he's a daredevil. And uh, I asked him, I said, are you going into the service? And he said, sister, when they come after me, I'll be deaf, dumb, and blind. <laughs> but as soon as he got out of school, he and a bunch of his friends went down to Indianapolis and joined, and they put him in the glider infantry. And that's just a suicide mission. And um, he trained in, in the gliders, and they sent him over to New Guinea, and um, he wrote me a note, wrote me a letter and said that he could make $50 more a month if he got into the paratroopers. So what do you, yeah, he said, what do you think I should do? 
Well, before I got a chance to answer, I got a new letter from him. He said, I just joined the paratroopers. I'm making $50 more a month. And uh, he said, told me he had to do so many jumps to be accepted. And so then later I got a letter from him saying, I made my fifth jump and it was the easiest jump I ever made in my life. He said, I was so airsick, I didn't care if I died. <laughs> he, was a, he was a character. <laughs> so I thought, you know, um, anybody, I was working in the drugstore and my boss had just passed away and I was an apprentice pharmacist under him. Well, I lost that. And I thought, what am I doing for my country? I, and so I went, the Marines had started, uh, the women's Marines. Mm -hmm. So I went down to Indianapolis and tried to join that. And this young Marine tried to get me to enlist and I said, well, I want to be in the hospital corps. And he said, well, I, I didn't know the Navy was the one that took care of the Marines. He explained that they didn't have their own hospital corps. And I said, well, then I'm, I'm gonna wait. And he said, well, they are going to start a Navy wave program and they will have hospital corpsmen. So if you want to wait. So I went home and decided I'd wait until the, I could get into the waves. And as soon as I could get in, I, I joined the waves, went home and told my mother I've just joined the Navy. And she said, my land, why would you want to do a thing like that? What would your father say? <laughs> my father would have been proud of me. <laughs> so I went, went in six days later, I was on my way to Chicago and um, we switched plane, trains in Chicago from the moment on to, I don't know what the one was, going to New York. And um, I walk in this train and it's, it has a hanging lantern. It's that old. They were using all the tra uh, trains for the troop trains and to ship, uh, uh, you know, equipment and uh, we'd we'd pass tra uh, trains full of tanks and and jeeps and it was really interesting. So I got to New York and boot camp. We uh, boot camp was at Hunter College, and um, we were there six weeks. Um, the, it was interesting. All we had was our hat, and they said that. Yeah, then later we would get our uniform. They had to fit it. And so, well, these are, these are the officer's hats. Yeah, those are all officer's hats. But it was similar to this, except it was like in my picture. The sides were down. And um, we, we walked around the neighborhood going to and from our uh, chow hall and and uh, the uh, parade grounds and these little kids would come up to us and ask for our autographs all we had on with their hat <laughs> and but we six weeks there and then we got on a train going across country went past Valley Forge and I could, we could see Valley Forge from the train 
And when we went through uh, towns, we had to have all the windows blocked. <clears throat> you know, because we'd, at night, so then light wouldn't get in or get out. Going through Pittsburgh, um, we, I got out to get a newspaper. When I came back in, I had soot all over me. <laughs> Pittsburgh in those days was terrible. And uh, we, when it was, I had never been farther from home than Oklahoma, where I'd gone to pre-med. And um, so when, after we left Oklahoma, we were in the cow country. We got to see cowboys and, and uh, then we started seeing hogans with the Indians. Our train broke down in someplace in New Mexico, I think. And it was 120 degrees and it's July. And um, we got the, the wave officer got us out of the train and in a full uniform, the gloves, hats, everything, and had us march. And these Indians are sitting in the shade of their hogan looking at these crazy white women. <laughs> so they finally got the train fixed and we got as far as Needles and we, they stopped the train in Needles so we could get out and walk around. And the, the Patton's Third Army was uh, having maneuvers there. So there were a lot of those poor guys that blisters all over their face and, and um, they, uh, you know, they were so happy to see white women. <laughs> we didn't stay there. We went on to California, and I kept looking for beautiful California. I thought all of California was flowers, <laughs> till I got to San Diego, and I got to the Naval Hospital, and it was beautiful. They, it was well kept. The yard, the grounds were just beautiful. And we were told that when you come in um, uh, on the grounds, you go, we were assigned to barracks, said if you walk across the compound with a man, you walk at a business-like gate. If you go out, a, a Marine guard will walk you to the gate. And when you come back, a Marine guard will walk you back here to, to your barracks. They were. They had a psych ward on the base, and a nurse had been killed in Belvoir Park, and so they were protecting us. But yeah, very protective. Yeah, but um, <clears throat> we were there for six weeks for our for our core school. Yeah, learning how to give shots and all those things, and we had to learn the. We had to recognize all, all of. Um, ships and and planes from all countries as well as as our all the bones and blood vessels of the body and uh, so we'd work we'd be in class half a day and the other half day we would be in the wards taking care of patients and uh, so i was there six weeks and then i was transferred to corona naval hospital where I spent the rest of the war. <clears throat> and I got out in September after the war was over. 
What kind of patients did you normally see there? Well, the patients that we admitted in, in at Balboa Park, um, they took us down and they were using the, the old barns. They'd taken the, the animals out of the barns. We're using barns to admit patients. And then we'd assign them to wards on the, in the hospital. And all of them had malaria. Uh, some, of them, some of them had uh, bone injuries, you know, concussion. They didn't, but the ones we were admitting mostly were um, just really young kids. Some of them lied about their age. And one boy was 17 and after he'd been in Guadalcanal. He just turned 17. And uh, they, one of them said to me, just talk to me. I haven't heard a woman's voice, a white woman's voice in so long. <laughs> he said, just say anything, just talk to me. I feel so sorry for him. I could see my little brother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, so then when we got to um, Corona Naval Hospital, that was a beautiful building, but it had just been opened up. It had been a, a guest ranch and um, a, a very exclusive, um, had a lot of Hollywood people come there. But it was during the Depression, they were going bankrupt, and the gov government came in and said, we're taking over your property. And he offered them a price, and they wouldn't accept that price. And so they, it was still in negotiations when we got out of the service. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> it was a beautiful building. And there I had patients that were malaria. Almost all of them had malaria. And jungle rot was a horrible, it's like the worst kind of athlete's foot. You know, you're, one boy had a, his, it was so bad on, it just looked like he'd peeled the skin off of his toe and his toe was about three times normal size. And they thought it was from, possibly from coral, walking in the, in this ocean yeah. and get pieces of coral in their skin and get it infected. And, uh, but they said the main thing was to keep their feet dry. So I was able to advise my brother who was going overseas to be sure and keep his feet dry. And, uh, and so he, he always, all through the service, he kept a pair of socks, dry socks, pinned to his, <laughs> his uniform so he could keep his feet dry. And he didn't get it. <clears throat> Thanks to you. Yeah. My first ward was all all of them had malaria, and um, there are a few that were on crutches that they um, when they would be hit overseas, like shot in the leg or hit with something, mm -hmm. they'd put a cast on immediately. They just fill it full of sulfur powder put the cast on, send them home, and they, when we got them, we had to take the cast off, clean that wound out, and you'd find leaves and pieces of bamboo, and yeah. unbelievable, and uh, then put the cast back on. And the waves were under the supervision of the nurses. The nurses 
didn't nurse. Waves, Waves and Corman did the, um, well, we were all Corman. The guys and, and the Waves were Corman. And uh, when we were under the supervision of the nurses and there are certain things we weren't allowed to do. Like I had a patient that I, I was, um, he had a nosebleed, hemorrhage. And one of the other patients came and told me that he was hemorrhaging. And uh, so, but he didn't want the one to tell me. And the nurse was off duty for lunch. And so I went back and I tried to, you know, with ice and so forth to get it to stop. Couldn't. And I knew how to, what I had to do, but I wasn't supposed to do it without supervision of a nurse. But I did it anyway. I packed his nose and stopped the bleeding. And I, we had calls in for doctors and, the, and they were all at lunch. So finally a doctor came up and he looked at the guy and he unpacked it and repacked it. And he looked at me and he said, who, who did that? Who packed that nose? And I said, I did, sir. And he said, you know, that's a court-martial offense. And I said, yes, sir. And he, he said, but you did a hell of a job. He grinned at me and patted me on the shoulder and walked out. <laughs> <laughs> Good was, story. I was scared to death. That <laughs> <laughs> you were. But you couldn't, yeah. couldn't fly. Let me ask you this. Uh, the project I do is called Portraits of Honor. And what what does honor, since you serve very admirably, uh, what does honor mean to you? And how, how can we all honor each other? honor each other I think of honor with of being truthful um, respectful um, but it seems different with honor in country it's still you know you're you honor your father and your mother <laughs> when your country is is your mother your motherland yeah. and to me honoring my country right now i'm sick what's going on in the country and uh, i don't see I don't see any, I don't think I will see the time when it's straightened out. What would you say to today's younger generation uh, about service and honor? I think it would be good. I don't believe in necessarily in women in combat. I think when, when I, I've seen what happens to men in combat, and when I think of a woman in combat and then having a family, and what if they had one of those nightmares that the men had 
And I went through watching that. Uh, and I know the women in the, that are in the service don't agree with me. <laughs> that is one thing that I, I, I believe they should be able to, you know, be in the service. Um, it's just, they aren't treated the same as we were treated in the Navy. I know that the Navy, the other Navy corpsmen treated us like sisters. We were well treated by, by the corpsmen. Some of the officers were, <laughs> I told about one in my book. <laughs> but um, I think the wars now are so different. You know, they're not, um, they had thousands and thousands and thousands of men fighting, you know, and, and they came home in such bad shape, so many of them. And, and I saw that. Um, I had, I had one patient with malaria and um, there was a, a, car, a, a young kid. Uh, he'd been in this. He he'd lied about his age to get in. He's in Guadalcanal, and um, he took a liking to me. He didn't like nurses for some reason. I don't know why he didn't like nurses, but he wouldn't do do anything a nurse told him. But he would follow me around and he'd help me. I'd be serving food to the patients, and this kid would follow me around like a, a little brother. <laughs> and um, he, he, he was 17, and he, he had malaria. And he said one day to me, you know, I think I'm cracking up. I said, oh, no, Joe, you're not cracking up. And I think, I don't know, I don't feel right. Well, it turned out they made a mistake in his uh, treatment of his malaria and gave him a double dose. But at that time, he was working in there helping me in the ward. And I, this patient, when they have malaria, they will run a very high fever and then it'll go into chills. And so I was trying this, I had this patient in a, we moved him into a special room and yeah. and I was taking care of him and I was putting hot, uh, cold packs on him to bring his fever down and he grabbed my wrists and I couldn't get loose. And this kid goes to the door and he yells, Marines, and within seconds, that room was filled with Marines and they pried his hands off. If that kid hadn't been there, I don't know what would have happened, because this man was back on the battlefield, and I knew it. And I think of that when I think of the women on the battlefield. I just, and some people it can handle it, some can't. And uh, I agree. But I, uh, as I went up in rate, I changed jobs. And um, I got a job, and they put me in the 
the tuberculosis unit for a while, the TB, and I was in the records office there. And um, I was there for six months. And then my brother was going overseas, so they sent me, they let me go home. <laughs> I got that in my book, how I finally got out with the Red Cross help. <laughs> yes. And uh, I didn't dream my mother knew how to use the system. When my boss wouldn't let me go out unless I took his keys, and uh, so my, I just sent a telegram to my mother saying I'm not going to be able to come, and so she went to the Red Cross, and I don't know how I I wouldn't have dreamed she could do that. She got me home before Wayne went overseas. This podcast is a charitable supported public service. To learn more about the veteran featured on this podcast, please go to portraitsofhonor.com. There you'll find more stories, portraits, and ways to be part of this act of honor. Every day, a few hundred World War II veterans pass away, and soon they'll all be gone. For the cost of a few cups of coffee each month, you can help us support the mission to give all these deserving veterans their portrait of honor and record and memorialize their stories forever. Please go to portraitsofhonor.com today to make your donation and show your support. Leave us a review and share this episode. By remembering the past, we can inspire a better future. Join us next time on Portraits of Honor.